everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Online Warriors podcast, releasing on Wednesday, July 14th. My name is Nerd Bomber, and I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Tactic today to bring you the latest in nerd news. Tactic, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. I am doing fantastic. We are halfway through July, which is kind of sad because summer is going by quickly, but we're listening to great podcasts, having a good time, and... And enjoying the year so far. Yeah, the year is going by super quickly. I can't believe we're halfway through 2021, but we have a lot of great news ahead of us this week to discuss. Now, as some of you longtime listeners might notice, we are missing Illegal this week. I'm usually not the person introing the show. He's usually the ringleader, but he is taking some well-deserved time off to rest and recoup and kind of take a little vacation. But don't worry, we have a lot of great stuff to discuss in his absence, a lot of gaming, a lot of movie stuff. So today we'll be covering the new Switch OLED, PlayStation's State of Play, the announcement of Assassin's Creed Infinity, and some new trailers, including Queen Pins and Encanto. So let's kick things off with one of the bigger announcements in gaming this past week with the Switch OLED. This new console iteration was actually announced last week, just after we dropped our last episode, but we felt it was still important to discuss. People have been waiting with bated breath for the rumored Switch Pro, and that may still come in the future, but for now, we've just got the Switch OLED. Due to launch this October for $350, the new Switch OLED boasts a 7-inch screen, 64 gigabytes of internal storage, a wider stand, and improved speakers. That's an increase in screen size from the original Switch, which only had a 6.2-inch screen. Though the resolution does remain the same, another thing that I want to include is that it hasn't changed the undocked battery life, which is still listed to hold strong at 4.5 to 9 hours, which is also the same as the base model Switch. So... What are your thoughts on this new console? Because a lot of people were really, you know, excited for the concept of the Switch Pro, the 4K gaming capability, maybe additional processing power or something like that. This doesn't feel like that big of a step to me. I mean, we're really just getting a new screen here. What do you think about this? Is the OLED screen different enough to warrant getting a new console here? So my personal opinion of this is we've seen this before with Nintendo and and the best example in my opinion is the Game Boy Advance to the Game Boy Advance SP. It provided a new updated console with with nice to have features, but it didn't alienate a lot of their fan base by giving them a new console that prevents them from playing their old games and and so it's kind of nice from that stance, but at the same point the Game Boy Advance SP and the Game Boy Advance were not consoles. And so, yes, this is $50 more expensive and you get a nicer screen and everything. But for me, it just doesn't warrant buying a new console. Personally, I'd rather wait till the, as I said before, bated breath Switch Pro comes out. And I will continue to hold my breath because a bigger screen just isn't doing it for me. I mostly play my Switch docked. So, it's not it's not doing it for me and i feel like they kind of are in the realm of handheld gaming with this update and they're forgetting that a good amount of the player base is sort of split between docked gamers and undocked gamers yeah that is true because like you said we play mostly docked and one of the big benefits between 
you know, switching from an LCD to an OLED screen is that they tend to be a little bit higher contrast. And I'm talking generally from just a tech standpoint. And I think, yeah, that's a nice to have, but does it warrant a completely new console? And especially for people like you and me, I'm never like, I can't remember the last time that I took my switch out of the dock, to be completely honest. And one of the other things that I was reading too, which was a little shocking to me, is since the Switch came out, like there was a bunch of hubbub. I don't know if you remember this tactic, but you know, the Joy-Con drift issue was a huge deal. You know, especially when you're considering that the Joy-Cons are pretty expensive. They're like $60, I believe, for a set of Joy-Cons. And they confirmed, Nintendo confirmed, I think one of the news outlets reached out to them that the upgraded OLED Switch will not fix that issue yet. And to me, that's another big, big problem because you've got this supposed upgrade and it doesn't even fix one of the biggest issues that has kind of plagued the system. It's one of the only negatives I can really think about the Switch since it came out years ago. Yeah, to me, it just feels like they've kind of stayed status quo with their business rollouts where they do a console, then they do a small tweak, then they eventually come out with the the, oh, and by the way, we did listen to you. We just took a really long time to implement what you guys were saying. And so, again, for me, not going to buy it, not even going to consider it, unless they did something like this where it had the price point of the Switch Lite, where that is something more sought after as a handheld thing. But for sure, not not this one's doing it for me. The thing that I am interested in, so obviously Nintendo runs a little bit differently than all of the other console manufacturers, but we always typically see with all of the consoles in the last few generations that like halfway through the generation, you know, the console manufacturer will come out with a slim version or a slightly upgraded version. And then that typically will like lead into then that's like the halfway point until we see the next big new console generation emerge. So when the Switch Pro eventually does come out, Based on what this upgrade is, do you think it's going to be like a generation type jump or do you think it's just going to be like a further upgraded system? That is a really good question. I think it's going to be a higher processing technology. I think I think it's it's going to be specifically focused on the hardware inside of the console because the hardware currently inside of the Switch is very, very dated, especially when you look at it relative to what we're packing packing into the, the the new Xbox, the new PlayStation. And granted, this is a significantly smaller console, so it has to be not as beefy. But I still say it's it's light years behind the other two consoles. And I, th- I think Nintendo's got to play, play its hand and catch up just a little bit. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that. And don't get me wrong, I love my Nintendo Switch, but there's definitely... The one that really comes to mind is the Outer Worlds. And the difference in graphics between what you get on the Switch version of that game and what you get in the PlayStation and the Xbox version of that game. I mean, obviously, it's still an enjoyable game and the heart of the game is still there on the Switch. But it is, at this point, I think, limited by the technology inside. So hopefully we do see a jump there. But hopefully, in my opinion, what I would really love to see is... Almost like what PlayStation and Xbox have done, where your old games kind of can come with you on the Switch Pro, because if it is that significant of a jump, I feel like I'm going to want to get it, but I don't want to leave all my games behind. And now I've just gotten so spoiled with all of the consoles having back compatibility and all that kind of stuff that I don't want to lose that if there's a new Switch Pro on the horizon someday. Yeah, I just hope they make it permanently docked and, and cram as much 
tech and hardware into it to really give us, you know, the the absolutely gorgeous landscapes that we want to see in the Zelda series and all the different speeds and we'll call them triangles associated with it. That's what I'm excited for. So that's interesting. You're saying that you would rather have like a dedicated docked system, kind of like going back to what Nintendo major consoles used to be before they kind of made this crossover into the handheld world. Like you'd want to see like another dedicated. I feel very uncomfortable handling the Switch. I mean, I always see that was one of the other things that was making the rounds when they showed this commercial. You know, I think they showed a guy playing in his hallway. And in most of the Nintendo Switch commercials, like they always have people playing outside and around pools. And I could maybe see like playing outside, whatever, but like playing by a pool would probably give me a heart attack. I don't know. And I feel like a lot of people must obviously do this if they're showing it. But like me personally, I feel like I am too anxious of a person like for for reference. So Tactic had gotten me, you'd gotten me a waterproof Kindle, right? And I still put it in a Ziploc bag when I read it by the pool, just in case, because I'm that anxious about my technology. So I splash a lot too, in her defense. So yeah, I, I, that that is interesting. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if they would have like a dedicated performance boost even for having it docked. Like I know they're kind of it's now, but like a massive performance boost if you had a dock. That's an interesting concept. I wonder how they would implement that. Technology, man. I'm sure they'll find a way. Now, Staying in the realm of video games, we also got a formal announcement from Ubisoft last week that they are officially working on the next installment in the Assassin's Creed franchise, Infinity. And you know, this isn't really that big of a surprise. I mean, it's been now, we're going to the second year of support for Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and that's actually one of the first for the Assassin's Creed franchise, you know, having a support from the developer past the first year. And while Ubisoft didn't really go into additional details on the game's structure for Infinity, Bloomberg reported that the project will be a little bit different. It will reportedly be an online platform that will consist of, quote-unquote, multiple historical settings and evolve over time. And their sources said that it would be more of a long-supported game that's designed to run for years rather than the current format, which is like a single location, single time period, and a like single-player open-world campaign. Ubisoft followed up with a statement after that kind of leaked and seemed to confirm that because they mentioned, again, a quote here from their statement, that rather than continuing to pass the baton from game to game, we profoundly believe this is an opportunity for one of Ubisoft's most beloved franchises to evolve into a more integrated and collaborative manner. So this means that Assassin's Creed Infinity is going to be drastically different than any Assassin's Creed game we've seen before. I know there was Unity, which tried to start bringing in those multiplayer elements to the Assassin's Creed franchise. But what do you think about this development tactic? I'm very excited about about what this could mean for the gameplay of Assassin's Creed and, and really what it can mean for the game that we're going to get. What I'm really trying to say here right now is, so we can have a SWAT stealth team you know working together and accomplishing missions and and it would be just absolutely badass or we can have a Leroy Jenkins scenario where you start off with a absolutely badass team and then one guy goes rogue and then blows up your whole stealth thing but it's I think it's still gonna be fun I I, I loved the idea of uh, an Assassin's Creed Unity Assassin's Creed multiplayer I think this is very very cool I think SWAT stealth squads is hopefully what they implement in this. And 
To that said, it's never going to get stale because they're telling us right here, right now, that the gameplay is always going to be evolving and it's going to be supported over many years. And that's that's awesome to me. That's absolutely exciting. It's, it's bringing a fresh twist to the Assassin's Creed franchise and I am here for it. See, I'll, I'll kind of be the antithesis to your excitement here. I don't know if I like this. And so... You know, I talked about Assassin's Creed Valhalla at length because I think I put over 100 hours into that game. And it was actually the first Assassin's Creed game that I fully dove into and played completely. And I liked it. And having the having this idea of a persistent game that's always evolving kind of scares me a little bit. And especially when we've seen what happened. So the thing that immediately came to mind when I heard about this was the Avengers game from Crystal Dynamics. And the entire premise of that game was kind of similar. How, you know, you'd have this single player experience, but, you know, it would be supportive over many years and they'd keep adding content. And we kind of saw that, like, they fell behind a little bit and... The content that did come wasn't what people expected. It was kind of lackluster. There wasn't a lot of it. The timelines for new chunks of game that were supposed to be rolled out, like the timelines were all off. I think people are still waiting on a lot of different hero missions to drop in the Avengers game. So I'm a little, I'm a little scared of this. I'll be honest. I have a better example for you. Destiny. That's the same style of play. They're constantly rolling out updates. They're constantly rolling out expansions. And I know people that are still playing Destiny to this day. And I think that honestly would be a better fit, better example to correlate to where they're going to be heading with this game. It'll be interesting to see, though, because so I enjoyed playing Destiny, but I was not a long hauler. Like we played it. We played the story missions, like all of the campaign stuff. And I think we did the same with Destiny 2. But once we ran through all that content, I was not a grinder. And I find that I'm the same way with many games, even these persistent online experiences. I'll go through the main campaign and yeah, you're supposed to revisit it when DLC drops down the line. But for the most part, like once I finish the main story, I put it away and I'm, I'm more or less done. And I have a backlog that's like as long as, I don't know. I, I need a good metaphor here, and I don't have one. That's as long as, you know, the Great Wall of China. I feel like I could probably put all of my video games and lay it along the Great Wall of China, and I would still... I feel like I many. would have made an inappropriate joke, so I just kept quiet. I appreciate that. Yeah. And because of that, I have a really hard time sticking with games for an extended period of time. And I think that's why Call of Duty always grabs me, because... The gameplay is the same, more or less, but they give me a new title and I'm a sucker and I'll buy it because I know for like a month or two, I'm going to be really into it, but then I'm going to put it down and then I need a new one to kind of pique my interest. I think Rocket League has been the only thing that's really held my interest for a sustained period of time. And so for me, like, I, I kind of wonder how they're going to balance all of the people coming from that, you know, single world, single player kind of tradition of assassin's creed there's a lot of people who that's what they love about assassin's creed and how you balance that within this new direction for the game and i almost wonder like do you think that this is going to be the end all be all for the assassin's creed franchise or do you think then they're also going to have like the the single player kind of plot driven games on the side i think it's going to be parallel paths i think they're going to continue to do what they know works and and sort of further that franchise but this is going to be this this parallel thing sort of like uh elder scrolls online it's going to be this thing that's always growing but they're not 
not making new Skyrims in parallel to that. So it's going to be these two things. And honestly, to your point of, you know, the, the fan base sticking to what they know and what's true, I think some of them are going to try this and they're also going to bring in new people to this. I don't think it's going to be 100% all of the Assassin's Creed fans are going to go to this and that's going to be it. It's it's something new. I'd, I'd honestly treat it like a completely new game. That is a good point because one of the things that I know has been off-putting and it was even to me, I was very hesitant about getting into Valhalla because I know like, yeah, in each game and whatever the current time setting is for that game, you know, the assassin that you're in control of has their own story, but there's this really long and in-depth story now running through the Assassin's Creed franchise. And there were parts of Assassin's Creed Valhalla that went over my head because, you know, it had been this story thread that had been running for, well, in this case, I think it was three games. They kind of had a little thread going on and I hadn't played the first two and I was just like, I don't know what's happening here. Let me go be a Viking Atlantis. again. <laughs> yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see it's going to be a brand new start for people and it'll maybe bring in a new audience. Yeah, it could be exciting. So with that, before we hit our break and move out to the world of gaming, we do want to touch on PlayStation State of Play. This event occurred on the 8th. This was a 30-minute showing for Sony and featured some announcements and a deep dive into the Deathloop gameplay. So let's start off with one of the announcements I was actually super excited for here. Moss Book 2. Moss was a PSVR game that kind of took the VR world by storm when it came out. Essentially, you guide a mouse, very reminiscent of Redwall, through a VR platforming world. Well, guess what, guys? We're getting a sequel. No release date has been announced yet, but it's coming. Dude, this was amazing. This is how they opened the show. And I got to be honest with you, I wasn't expecting a Moss sequel. I didn't know I... Well, I mean, I guess I knew I wanted a Moss sequel, but I didn't know I would be, like, so excited for a Moss sequel. It's just so cute. It looks so cute. This is one of the things, like... Moss is a really good introductory game to VR, especially, like, PSVR, because it eases you in. Like, it's a little bit difficult to get motion sick in Moss because it's essentially... You're kind of like a god view guiding this mouse through a world. And so you're not really moving so much as the mouse is moving. Like there's times when, yeah, you're like moving through to follow him, but like nothing that would really get your your brain and your eyes all angry and get you a little nauseous. So I was actually very excited. And this was one of the things that I wasn't expecting out of the state of play, but I was super pumped to hear about. I know he's not a cat, but I always want to go to get him to scooch across. But he's so cute. I'm kind of a weirdo like that, folks. So the other thing that I wanted to touch on was Arcadagetan. Arcadagetan was also announced during the stream and was made immediately available to access via early access. It's a cooperative multiplayer arena shooter with various different game modes. What are your thoughts on that one? I thought this looked pretty neat. So... This is weird because I feel like there's a lot of games now that have this similar art style and I'm kind of torn on this. So in a way, it almost feels like not a ripoff, but it feels like it's leaning very heavily into like that Fortnite and even like Knockout City animation style. And I don't hate the animation style. It just feels like we're getting a lot of it. I think the concept is a little bit more unique than like your Fortnite. I mean, now we have so many Battle Royale games. So it's more like you're working with people to save an arcade, but then there's also like multiplayer 
player versus player battles and like different mini games scattered throughout the game. And I mean, I thought it looked interesting. I don't know. I always have a hard time with these because these are the type of games. And even with Knockout City, I was actually surprised to enjoy that as much as it did. I feel like these are a hard sell for me because the player base is not going to be persistent. Persistent is like my word of the day, I think. I feel like this is going to be one of those games that look really cool and might be fun right off the bat. And they get played out almost instantly. Yeah. And if you can't sustain a big player base here, I don't know where this game is going to go. But I mean, I hope it does well. I don't know. What do you think? I I kind of agree with you. It, It feels like these style of games are just kind of getting beaten to death. And I'm just kind of over it. There's a lot of other games that they showed during the state of play that I'm significantly more excited about. (coughs) Sifu. But this one just didn't do it for me. And I'm the optimist here. And since I already mentioned it, I do want to talk about some of the other games that were shown in the state of play. We saw Fist. We saw Hunter's Arena. Again, we saw Sifu. We saw Lost Judgment. And we saw the Death Stranding director's cut. But I want to specifically focus on Deathloop because that's that's really why we're all here. The Arcane devs walked us through an assassination mission in the game where they showed us some gadgets, abilities, and what excited me most was the Residium. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But basically what it is, it's, it's it's something that you pick up during the game and it allows you to keep some of your favorite upgrades and weapons as you proceed through loops. And correct me if I'm wrong, Nerd Bomber, but it also allows you to come back to life and not start completely over if you die. Yeah, and this was something that, like you said, you were super excited about. I was also very excited. You know, Deathloop is one of those games that I was super pumped to hear about over and over and over again. But I was a little kind of gun shy because we talked about this when we talked about Returnal. I am not a big fan of dying and starting completely over. Yeah, it it kills me a little bit inside, you know, having to start from scratch, rebuild your arsenal. It's just it it's one of those things that frustrates me and breaks me especially when you think like you get really close and then you die like right before you beat the last thing you need to beat and then you're back to square one. It's, it seems like a common genre even with with Sifu, you know, you die, you get older, you start over, but you're older, but you start over. Yeah, I mean it is a a very common and very popular genre of games and some people love that. Other people like me don't. And so seeing a feature like this built into the game that kind of allows you to experience the time loop, the death loop over and over again, but make it a little bit more approachable for people like me who hate that kind of gameplay is super awesome. And I think that's really neat. I'm okay with never dying. The thing that I struggle with is never dying coupled with timing. This game seems very schedule based and it's daunting to me, but hopefully these upgrades and, and all the gadgets and everything they showed us are going to make it significantly more bearable. So I am still on the fence, but I'm still here for this game, and, and it looks still fantastic to me. I am scared about the the one other thing that they showed is that your opposing uh, assassin that's going to be coming after you 
is both the computer as well as it can be a player. And if if another player who's like significantly better than me at this game is constantly coming in and ruining my day, man, I am just going to rage quit. Yeah, I definitely agree. I wonder if they won't have some feature to kind of turn that off because I could see that being super annoying. For me, like when I see anything about this game, I don't want this to be a shared experience. I want this to be like a single player game where you can puzzle out timelines, you can strategize. And that's what I want. I will say I'm very excited about this game too, though. Like all of the footage that we saw from this, I mean, I was a huge fan of Dishonored. I love Dishonored. It was probably, man, I read all the books, played all the games. I was a Dishonored weirdo. I I guess weirdo is not the right word. Yeah, standard weirdo who really loved Dishonored. I have like all of the pops and stuff. And I saw a lot of influence in some of the gameplay, like a lot of the teleportation and stuff like that. And I'm I'm interested to see this. I mean, I love most of the stuff that Arcane puts out. I even think the humor in this game is really great. The art style is great. Everything that I've seen, the ability to like be stealthy or not if you don't want to, like Arcane does a really great job with that. So I'm excited to play this game in September. Tactic, do you I mean, I know if I pre-order it, that means you obviously are going to have a copy, but do you see yourself like prioritizing this in September when it comes out? So between the two of us, you're the bigger first-person shooter. I'm the bigger puzzly gamer. And to me, this doesn't seem like a first-person shooter. This seems like a puzzle game and honestly seems way more up my alley than yours. So yes to me, I'm on the fence with you. Maybe we'll have to like knock our heads together on this and kind of combine both of our, you know, strengths when it comes to gaming. Yeah, we can knock our boots. Knock, ooh. mm. Is that the wrong... (laughs) and this is what happens when illegal leaves us alone we start knocking boots on the podcast so yeah ultimately i'm very excited any any last words on either the state of play or death loop or anything that we saw during this just a recap look forward to it september 14th 2021 all right so as we head towards our break i'm kind of going to steal illegal's thing here i would be absolutely remiss if i did not thank our Patreon producers, Mr. Ben Checkness and Mr. Stephen Keller. Ben and Stephen subscribe at our night tier where they get the ability to sit around the round table and vote on aspects of our show like the quiz. They get exclusive access to bonus content like the monthly secret segment as well as a monthly vlog where you get to see one of our pretty or handsome faces talk about our month. And they even get to guess on the podcast from time to time. You know, if you go back a few episodes ago, I think we had both of them on pretty closely together and it was always a great time talking to them. There are three different tiers of subscription on our Patreon and every single one helps to support the show and keep us growing and improving. There are a ton of great rewards and you can check that out over at patreon.com slash online warriors podcast. And now a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Do you feel like you are stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering, sensational recipes delivered right to your door. Skip all of those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everyone to enjoy. 
All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. So we have actually been HelloFresh subscribers for the longest time, even before, you know, they became a sponsor on this episode. I get very bored eating the same thing all the time. We, at one point, were just eating like the same chicken, rice, and broccoli every day. And I was like, I need some variety. So we checked out HelloFresh and Tectic does the majority of the cooking in our house. All the cooking. And would you say, I mean, you're, you're the chef master here. What's your experience been with HelloFresh? I can eat tacos every day, all day, and they have a ton of taco options and I'm always picking them and I'm always enjoying them. So hello tacos. And I feel like it doesn't take you that long to make anything too, which is a really nice perk because sometimes like if you would try to pick a recipe randomly out of like a cookbook, you might be looking at an hour and HelloFresh just streamlines that experience, which means I get to eat faster. So if you guys want to check out HelloFresh, Go to the link in our show notes and get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. And we're back. So on the back half of the show today, we wanted to talk a little bit about movies instead of video games, kind of transition to another aspect of nerd culture. The first one on the docket is a movie called Queen Pins. And it's a new coupon-cutting caper starring Kristen Bell and Kirby Howell-Baptiste. So in this trailer, the two women kind of turn their coupon-cutting hobby into a multi-million dollar scam. And they're soon pursued by a loss prevention officer and a postal inspector played by Paul Walter Hauser and Vince Vaughn. And another interesting note that I thought was really neat to take out of this trailer was it's apparently based off of a true story. Tactic, what were your thoughts on this? This looked like a fun run, wild ride, entertaining movie. I am incredibly excited about this. I absolutely love Kristen Bell. I think she's one of my celebrity crushes. But beside the point, she's also hilarious and fantastic. And I'm here for this. Coupon cutting is fun. The jokes were witty and hilarious even in the trailer i hope that those weren't all of the funny bits in the movie and there's a lot more to it but this looked fantastic i'm day one gonna be watching it well this is one of the things too i was super refreshed watching this trailer because i don't know about you guys but over the last like year and a half we have been burning through movies burning through movies Like anything that releases, we watch almost instantly. And one of the things that I find we've been lacking in in terms of theatrical releases or even streaming releases are comedies. There haven't been a lot of comedies. There's been a lot of like action thriller blockbuster type things and a lot of superhero movies, but not a lot of comedies. That's why I sort of mentioned that all of the jokes in the trailer, I hope were not all of the jokes in the movie because a lot of comedies we've been watching, we've been bamboozled and we look at each other and go, well, that was depressing. That is true. And I feel like, yeah, I like this seems like a bigger budget comedy as well. A lot of the comedies that we've been watching, to your point, Tactic, they've been kind of like smaller indie comedies. And I don't Like, I don't dislike small indie comedies. In fact, I actually do like them. But one of the things that I've kind of struggled with over the last year and, you know, everything going on in the world is that a lot of smaller indies, they they have like a darker, drier humor, which is fine. But sometimes I don't need something like so introspective where like 75% of the movie is actually more depressing than funny. 
Like, I, I don't need to examine all of the downtrodden things in my life. You just want to make... enjoy yourself. You don't need to self-reflect. Yeah. I, I like, I miss the days of like buddy comedies and stuff like that. And this looks like it's going to fill that niche. It looks like it's going to be kind of like a, I hesitate to call it a heist movie because couponing isn't necessarily a heist, but like a funny crime thriller. And I'm here for it. And like you said, I'm here for Kristen Bell. And and the cop pairing just looks absolutely hilarious. You have the, you know, the the dry, no BS guy, then you have the mall cop kind of thing where you had, you know. The bumbling tryhard. Yeah. And it just oh my goodness, this looks awesome. So this one is actually coming out September 10th in theaters and then shortly thereafter hitting Paramount Plus. So if you're not ready to head back into theaters, you'll have an option to stream it as well. I think this is going to be one of those that we see pretty shortly after its release. I can definitely see us, you know, sitting back with a bucket of popcorn and having a good laugh at this one. So I'm I'm a big fan. Absolutely. Okay, so let's wrap it up with the final news topic of the day. Encanto. This is the latest animated feature from Disney starring Stephanie Beatriz from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and... In the Heights fame. The movie is set to take place in Colombia and focuses on a family with all sorts of magical gifts and features a ton of music from Lin-Manuel Miranda. Its release date is expected to be released on November 24th and this looks absolutely heartwarming and I also have theories on what Stephanie Beatrice's character gift is. I think it is optimism. That could be a good one. I feel like Disney does like to give like little twists where the the gift or like the final lesson at the end is something positive and like something about loving yourself. So I, I can I can see that. That's it. That's a decent like, answer. Hear me out. You're you're fairly negative, Nelly, and I am <laughs> Wow. I am the most optimistic person and it's contagious. Like it's optimism is this like almost viral thing, and it might be too soon to use that analogy, but it spreads and it makes everyone feel good and it's just a good power to have. What I'm really excited about here, I mean, a couple things. First is the setting. I think as we see Disney kind of, you know, stepping a little bit outside the box, getting outside of like animals, which there are a lot of, and like your very stereotypical Disney princesses, they're kind of expanding their roster of countries that they're visiting in terms of their movies. And I think Colombia is a really, really rich cultural setting. And I think it's a great place to explore. I think it's a great place to put this movie. Additionally, I'm really excited about the music from Lin-Manuel Miranda. I mean, obviously, he already has uh, a little bit of experience working with Stephanie Beatriz. They obviously had In the Heights together. And you know, everything that he seems to to touch has really exploded. I mean, you look at Hamilton, you look at In the Heights and, you know, his musical talent and kind of invoking feeling and passion and bringing something extra to musicals is really something impressive. And to kind of ingrain that in a Disney animated feature that's already, I mean, Disney movies are already well known for their musical prowess. I mean, all of the major, like, I mean, everybody has heard Let It Go and Be Our Guest and all of the great songs throughout Disney history that kind of like are an earworm and stick in your ear. And it's really cool to see Lin-Manuel Miranda kind of get a chance and try his hand at bringing that Disney animated magic to life through his music writing. So I'm very pumped about this. 
Do you think Disney will charge us for it? Well, right now, from everything that I could find, because I did try to look this up, I believe this is going to be the first Disney animated movie that they haven't given some sort of option to watch on Disney Plus since the pandemic started. So I don't know if it's just information that will be forthcoming or if they're planning this to be a purely theatrical release here. But I, I, I feel like I would be surprised to see this hit for free at the very least. I think... Black Widow, which we'll talk about a little bit later in our What Are You Up To segment, I mean, that showed that, you know, having a theatrical release concurrent with a Disney Plus premium access selling point doesn't really take away from the money that a movie will make in the theaters. In fact, it'll just kind of complement its opening weekend. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with this, if they're going to, you know, come forth with a Disney Plus premiere access sort of deal here, or if it's just going to be strictly theatrical. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I hope they do both because for me personally, I'm, I'm still hesitant to go to theaters off the coattails of the pandemic, but it'll give me an option to still see this when it comes out. I mean, it's also kind of nice just watching movies at home and having that ability to watch a movie at home, especially now like home theaters have really evolved and it's still never going to be the same as seeing it on the big, big screen. But I will say that with the help of surround sound and a big ass TV, you get pretty close. Keep going bigger, folks. And I mean, you can have so many snacks, so many snacks, endless snacks. So it's interesting, you know, it kind of begs the bigger question of like the future of movies. And I know we've talked about it on the show many times in the past, but I think there is a place in the world for both theatrical and home releases kind of happening concurrently. And it's just the studios need to find a balance, especially working with a lot of the bigger theater chains too, finding that balance for how they want to release their big movies, because I think this is going to be a big one. I just, I feel it in my gut. I don't know. I, I don't know anything about this movie other than this trailer, but it just seems like something that would appeal to a lot of people. It's how they did it in the past. It would make sense if they circled back to it. And when I say the past, I'm referring to the days of LimeWire. Those who know, know. <laughs> just kidding. Don't, don't steal stuff on the internet, guys. So with that, that brings us to our next segment on the show. What are you up to Wednesday? And if it's all the same, I'd like to start because we actually watched a movie that wasn't depressing. So that was cool. We watched Army of the Dead on Netflix. I mean, it was a little depressing. We're talking about a zombie apocalypse here. No, I thought it was just splody fun. And it was. Yeah, I agree. I was just getting your gadget. It was mindless. There was a lot of action scenes. There was some stuff that you're just like hard, hard eye roll. But overall, I'd say it was a, it was a pretty good interesting take on zombies you know i, I liked that they had a, the, the, these zombies sort of had a uh, a hierarchy of of zombie species you had the the original zombie and that's like the most powerful one and then the people that that he bit were like sort of on par with him and then the people that they bit really sucked and then it was just kind of this hierarchy of zombie classes and it was super neat and and I really liked the way they did that concept. So way to go, Zack Snyder. Yeah, I will say, I thought it was really original to actually have like sentient zombies in a way. I mean, you compare it to pretty much every other zombie movie. And yeah, even if you have other classes of zombies, 
You know, you have like the fast ones and the big fat ones and the slow ones. Boomers. But none of them really have like intelligence or the ability to organize or anything like that. And so I think that was something that Army of the Dead did that was really unique and really original. And one of the things, too, that I was really surprised about, and I don't want to give away any spoilers, but I was surprised at the capacity of this movie to surprise me. And that sounds like I just said surprise a lot of times, but I don't care. Like, it kind of kept me guessing. It kept me on my toes. People who I thought would make it out alive at the end didn't. People who I didn't think would make it out out alive at the end maybe did. I'm not going to give away any spoilers. And it was... It just kept me on my toes. And like overall, you kind of, there were some things that were a little predictable, but really like it was just fun and you didn't have to think too much. There were some things that made you think a little bit. There were aspects of the movie that kind of like opened the floodgates to the inevitable expansion of the franchise, which I know is in the works. Like there were some mysteries that were kind of left open-ended. I know Tectic had some questions about like, blue things i don't want to say too much more than that but if you've seen the movie you know and apparently watch their eyes yeah apparently that's going to be like expanded on in future movies so so yeah i'm I'm, i was very pleasantly surprised i don't know why we put off watching this as long as we did but it was it was fun the main thing and and i'm gonna speak vaguely so that i can relate to the people who watch this but someone specifically survives and the way in which that person survived, I literally said at the start of the movie, why don't they just do this? And sure enough, and, and you're going to be upset on how goofy they were. And I hope I'm speaking clear enough for that you understand me, but that's what they should have done. So Tactic, before we wrap up on this, do you think you would be interested in seeing an expansion of this world? Like we already know Zack Snyder is working with Netflix and he's going to do a prequel and then there's going to be follow-up movies, you know, kind of following the after effects of this movie. Are you are you down for that or do you think this would have been better as a standalone? I think the eye jazz that we saw was sort of corny in my opinion and honestly it it should just be a standalone is what it is call it a day that's fair enough i mean sometimes and i think we've gotten into this part of entertainment where everything needs to be this runaway franchise where you can't just have a movie that doesn't have like five sequels planned so i kind of get where you're coming from like if this would have been a standalone movie i think it would have worked perfectly fine and I wouldn't hate that, but I also wouldn't hate more. So speaking of franchises, I want to talk about the Marvel franchise. Ooh, let's do it. We watched Black Widow, and I will say this was probably one of my favorite Marvel movies in a hot minute. And here's why. I mean, we, we've heard a lot about Black Widow prior to the movie coming out. If you're a big MCU fan, you know this took place after Civil War, correct, Tactic? I want to make sure I'm getting my timing right. Sort of in parallel of Civil War. And essentially, this is kind of like almost like a Black Widow origin story. We're not going back to the very beginning before we met her in Iron Man 2, but it's kind of, you know, delving into her background as a widow. There's flashbacks that cover prior to the whole Iron Man jazz. Right. But like, it's kind of really doing a deep dive into, you know, the Red Room, who she was prior to the Red Room a little bit. You know, how she got to where she was and like what happened to the people in the Red Room and all that kind of stuff that she left behind when she joined the Avengers. And 
one of the things that I really enjoyed about this movie was the fact that with the exception of like a couple people, no one here really had superpowers. And so this felt like one of the earlier Marvel movies to me. Iron Man, and the reason why I think you are really into Iron Man to begin with is because, you know, he didn't have any superpowers handed to him. He was just a guy who used his smarts to create tools to let him be a superhero. And in a way, Natasha was, I mean, she was kind of forcibly trained, but she was just a normal person who was trained really well and became very skillful and then decided to use those skills to help people. And so throughout this movie, everybody, like, there's a character who is a little bit enhanced, and that is... Mm. I don't like this change, but I'm, I'm okay with it. I was talking about the Red Guardian. He's technically the foil to Captain America, like he is a super soldier. Oh, well, you don't have to speak in code with that one. Right. So there's really, of the main cast, there's really only like one superhero, quote unquote, that is kind of enhanced. Everyone else is just a normal person. And in a way, this almost feels more like a spy thriller than it does like the big bombastic MC superhero movie. I really liked it. And also, I really liked Florence Pugh. Pugh? Yes, Pugh. Pugh, Pugh. I thought her character of Yelena was very, very on the nose, very sarcastic, and actually pointed out a lot of things that I personally didn't even really like about Black Widow in the beginning when she was introduced in the MCU. I was not a big Black Widow fan. I mean, it was very obvious that she was being used for her sex appeal and stuff like that, and a lot of her fighting style was just like, mm, well, okay. And Yelena calls all of that out and was super funny and just very dry and sarcastic. Yeah, that was absolutely fantastic. And I loved it. I think the addition of those characters was great. The action was great. The story was great. I was a fan. The thing that I want to poke out to the comic book fans is the two major changes, in my opinion, um, that we saw with regards to these characters and the comic book characters. The first one, I'd say, is sort of minor, and that's the Red Guardian's relationship to Natasha Romanoff. It's very different from the comic book. There, trust me, there is no romantic interest there, and there will never, never will be. So that's different. I like that actually. I actually preferred it, especially with the appeared age difference of the two. I like that change. The other change that I did not like, and I don't want to spoil it, but they change who Taskmaster is completely, completely different Taskmaster than the ones we've read about in the comic books, the one we've been introduced to, introduced to in the Spider-Man games. Totally different Taskmaster. And those of you who don't know, Taskmaster was just a, a kid, grew up in Brooklyn, and ha he had this um, amazing memory and was able to see something and duplicate it, and that was sort of his superpower. They made it more realistic, where you're no one has this crazy photogenic memory, and I'm not going to spoil how they did that, but totally different Taskmaster. So if that's what you're expecting, don't expect that. I didn't like that change, but Nerd Bomber did. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting and something that kind of kept you on your toes. And again, I don't want to speak at length on it because I don't want to give anything away. But as someone who, you know, is pretty familiar with the comics, either through my own experience with them or by listening to Tactic, sometimes it's nice to get thrown a curve. And I know hardcore comic book fans sometimes don't like that when they deviate from the source material, but the MCU has deviated so much at this point. Like every now and then curveball doesn't make me mad. 
can't even call it Marvel anymore. That's why it's just MCU. Exactly. I think the only thing that's a little disappointing to me is that we didn't get this movie sooner, to be completely honest with you. I, I, I think getting it significantly sooner would have would have done the whole universe a great service. I really do. And, I mean, I don't want to, again, if people haven't seen Endgame at this point, like, shame on you. There's a little spoiler here, so plug your ear holes for, like, five seconds. Um, but they do kind of make it clear, obviously, we already know that Natasha, you know, perishes at the end of Endgame. So setting up Yelena as the next Black Widow, I'm assuming that's going to happen, I think is a really smart move. And I think that character will inject a lot of fun and just a different tone into the role. And Scarlett Johansson is great, but I think having this, we're seeing like a youth movement in the MCU. And I'm, I'm interested to see where that goes because I really dug Yelena. I'm curious to see what some of these other characters that they're going to bring in like i know there's going to be a new hawkeye and there's probably a ton of characters that we're going to be introduced to and the mcu is going to look very different soon and it's going to be very interesting let's go for the ride now last but not least we're going to hop into trivia and give tactic a shot at redeeming i might win guys i might win yeah because it's a one-player trivia game and there's two caveats here. One, he's only playing against himself, so he doesn't have to worry about people one-upping him. And two, this is about one of his favorite places in the world, Dave & Buster's. We are Dave & Buster's champions. He's got a winner shirt. Is this trivia on Dave or Buster? It's on the establishment. So we're going to obviously be doing something a little bit different than normal. All of these questions are still number-based, like we typically do, but instead of doing like Price is Right style, you have a 10% window on either side of the correct answer to try to get the answer right. So you can get within 10% lower or higher of the correct answer to get the question right. So is busting impossible? Well, if you go over 10%, technically, I guess you busted. Basically, what I did was I took these numbers... And I said, what is 10% lower of this number? What is 10% higher of this number? And that is the range that you have. So if you get three of the five questions I'm about to ask you right, we will give you a win. Do you think you are ready for this? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, let's start with this first one. How many Dave & Buster's locations are there in North America as of this July 2021? 1,242. Wow, you super busted here. The correct answer was 140, so you're not even close to that one. That's it? Yes, there's only 140 locations. So you didn't get that one. You have four more questions. You have to get three correct. You have some chances. You can only get one more wrong, and then you will win. What year was the first Dave & Buster's opened in Dallas, Texas? I'm going to say 2003. Oh, boy. So for this one, obviously, because, you know, the year numbers are very large, I took the last two numbers of the year. So like if we were talking like 1920, I would do 10% of 20. But you were not right here either. The first Dave & Buster's opened in 1982. So and you opened were... 100 franchises? Jeez. They Since are not, 1982, yeah. They are not moving quick. They are moving quick in terms of technology in that they introduce power cards, which is a debit card-like system for tracking tokens and tickets, which is unlike, I think, Chuck E. Cheese. I think they still do coins and such. What year was the power card introduced? 
I think that was recent. I'm going to say 2010. All right. Well, you're not going to win this week. The answer is 1997. What? They were actually pretty early on the scene with that. So, yeah, that you were just above the top end of your 10% range. I distinctly was remember 2006, so. having them weigh all my tickets. Are you talking about just for the cash, the cards, or where all of your tickets went directly to the card? The power card was introduced in 1997. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a power card that doesn't track both, but maybe. There were power cards. Yeah, I believe there were power cards. I don't think it was as widely used, but I think there was always the option of having a power card. Just for funsies, we'll end on these last two. It's impossible. Yeah, you're not going to win, but we'll have some fun with these. How many tickets is the jackpot on the big bass fish and wheel game of chance? 500. Why do I suck? We don't play this game a lot, so I'll give you this one. I mean, I won't give you the correct answer because you didn't get it right. It's actually 3,000 is the jackpot, but I won't hold this one against you because, like I said, we don't play this one a lot. Now, this one I will be disappointed if you don't get because this is your favorite game at Dave & Buster's. You bust a move on this one. How many blocks must you stack in tipping blocks to reach the top of the stack? But I never reach the top of the stack. I always cash out halfway up. But you should know what halfway is, correct? I'm going to say 10. You actually get this one. You're within range. So there are nine blocks to reach the top of the stack. So you are within the range. And you did get a point. So we didn't clean sweep you, which is good. So unfortunately, you didn't win this week. You'll get another shot next week. We'll tally this on. I'll have to tell Illegal to add this to his running tally. I don't have the record in front of me. He is the record keeper, but we'll keep you updated. Guys, I'm good at trivia. So good at trivia. Now, that brings us to the end of our show. We thank you guys for sticking with us through this hour. We hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. We would love for you to reach out and talk to us about any of the news topics or the movies that we discussed today. You can reach me on Twitter at OWNerdBomber. You can reach Tectic at OWTectic. You can reach Illegal, who's on vacation and has no idea what this episode is about, at OWIllegal86. Or you can reach out to our main show account at OnlineWarriors1. Again, we appreciate you listening so much. We hope you come back next week. We'll be joined by Illegal. We'll have another great episode for you. And we hope you have a wonderful week. Let's see, Alex. Uh, what do you think of Jaws, which is at 97% Rotten Tomatoes? I find it to be anti-shark propaganda. What do you feel about the Entourage movie, which is at a meager 33%? I think they finally got Hollywood right. How about It Follows, 97%. Worse than your parents giving you the sex is evil talk. How do you feel about Juno, which is at 94%? That would be a movie that celebrates a teenage homewrecker. Uh, how about Bewitched at 25%? Best television adaptation ever put to film. How do you feel about American Hustle at a towering 93%? Overwrought awards bait. Righteous Kill, 19%. The movie that Michael Mann wishes he had made when he created Heat. Sounds about right. I'm Julio. I'm Alex, and we are the Contrarians. As you can tell, our thing is that we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Regardless of what we really feel. Find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn. Facebook, Twitter, we're everywhere. Yeah.